Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to say thank you to our platinum sponsors, including Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead and Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD. We've got a very special guest today, Mark. We call him Hutch Hunter. He's a certified master athletic administrator, and he's a longtime athletic director at Jordan High School in Sandy, Utah, but now he's the executive director of the Utah Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. He's also extremely active in the uh, Professional Leadership Academy for the NIAAA. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you uh, having me on, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Well, uh, like I said, we're glad we could pull you out of the office uh, to spend <laughs> a little bit of time with us today. Um, Hutch, as you know, the life of an AD is uh, it's always on the go, and this is no exception. So we're going to jump right into it. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school and college, and, and how your love of sports you know, got you into this career uh, of being a, an athletic administrator. All right. Thanks, Jake. Uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City um, and have lived here my entire, well, I live in suburban Salt Lake now, but I've lived in Salt Lake my entire life. Went to elementary school, junior high, high school, went to the University of Utah. Actually, my first coaching gig was uh, right out of high school when I coached a little league football here in Utah. And speaking of football, it brings up an interesting story that you'll find, uh, that you'll like because you have actually read this in my novel. When I was seven years old, that's when I started playing football, and I've been either playing or coaching uh, since that time. Well, the first day of practice, the coach says, all right, put, put a piece of tape across your helmet and write your last name on there so I can tell who you are when we have practice the next day. So even at the age of seven, I didn't pay attention all the time. I show up the next day, and I didn't have any tape across my helmet and uh, everybody had, you know, tape, Williams, Brown, whatever. Mine just said Hutch on the front of it. And uh, so the coach says, hey, you Hutch, come over here. And uh, that's where the nickname came from and that's where it stuck. And so that's kind of, uh, uh, I noticed in uh, some of the questions you sent me to start, it asked about where your first job was. I thought maybe I'd throw something interesting here that not a lot of people know. I probably better change that background. What do you think? It's uh, kind of looks fuzzy. So let's go maybe to this one. 
All right. So from high school, uh, where I played uh, played football in high school, attended the University of Utah, and I graduated from there and actually got my first job at Jordan High. And I was at Jordan High. I'm kind of the anomaly. I was there for 34 years. Wow. 30 years as the athletic director, and uh, in the early years, um, <clears throat> I was head coaching girls basketball, track, soccer, baseball, uh, acting head coaching football one year in the in the late 80s when our head coach had cancer. But athletics, uh, in particular football, has always been a part of my life since the early uh, on. I was going to mention a story about my first job. I was in ninth grade, and I got a job at a catering company in Salt Lake City. And we used to uh, go out, would be in the catering truck, and I was just the hired help. And we have a, an amusement park near Salt Lake called Lagoon, which is just like, well, it's not as big as the amusement parks in Florida, but it's a small scale amusement park. And they used to have a place there called Patio Gardens, where all the bands used to come and play. And so I would be out at, at Lagoon, and the guy I was with, and we'd be done, we'd be all packed up, ready to go, and it's about 8, 8.30. And we'd have four or five pies left, so we'd put on our aprons, and we'd take our pies, and we'd go right down to the, uh, the ticket taker at Patio Gardens. And he would let us into the shows for free. I saw the Beach Boys there, I saw Herman's Hermits. Saw the doors, didn't see the doors when I was catering, but uh, that's kind of an interesting first job that I had. So just thought I'd throw that in. Well, that kind of explains uh, some of your posts on uh, Facebook with your song of the week. <laughs> That's true. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, you were at Sandy for all those years and, and sounds like you took on the AD job at a fairly young age. Talk a little bit about that transition from the teacher coach into that role uh, where now you're coaching coaches. Yeah, well, the strange thing about when I became the AD, it's 1983. So it's... Uh, almost 40 years ago, 37 years ago. And basically, uh, when I pitched it to the principal, uh, the NIAAA, who I didn't even know at the time, had only been around for three years, their first conference back in 1980. Uh, I didn't know a thing about the uh, UIAAA. And uh, basically he said, okay, you're the AD, make sure we have buses and uh, my, my big thing was they gave me a, a period of day and I made, I had to make sure that I uh, had buses there. I had to make sure to meet the officials. And of course, that was pretty much my job description in 1983. Of course, now it's a totally different job, as you well know, and as everyone who's listening to this podcast knows. And I kind of grew into that from there. And uh, the best thing that I ever did was joined a state association and then joined the national association because I can say, and I'm sure the other guests you've had on this show have said the same thing, but there is, there's not another organization like the NIAAA, not even close. It, uh, the camaraderie that's there, the networking that's there. I've, I've told this to other people before and I may have mentioned it to you. I can call people in, 49 states, 49 of the 50. I don't know anybody in Alaska, but I can call, call them by first name. They can call me. They can say, hey, Hutch, what's going on? How are you handling this problem, et cetera, et cetera. And I can call them and say, look, we've got this issue. Or how are you doing this? Or, you know, with the latest COVID stuff, how, how are you guys handling this? And of course, every state's different now, even though Utah's back uh, 
running things with their high school athletes. A lot of the neighboring states out, out west here are not doing it. New Mexico, for example, is not doing anything till almost the first of March. I know California didn't have football. I don't think Oregon and Washington did. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a different world we live in, and. I'm kind of glad I'm on the retired end now because it would be awfully tough to be in a school. Uh, one week you're online, the next week you've got part of the students back, the next week you've got all the students back. My grandson, Noah, who's a uh, football player for the Kramer Canyon team, you're smiling because they just won their third state championship. He went back to school for the first time last Monday. He's been online since school started. He and most of the other football players chose to take that route because they didn't want to, uh, they wanted to play. They didn't want to be around people. And the only time they were around people was at football practice. And so, you know, it's a strange thing is pretty much all I can say. So, You know, we've been uh, talking with ADs from around the country uh, about their state and their school's uh, response to COVID. Um, and we understand uh, you know, the differences between states and even within states, you know, for, for me, and I've voiced this frustration, you know, uh, at our state level and, and even beyond, is that, uh, for example, there's a number of states that, you know, uh, state A, they canceled sports entirely. Uh, and, and they have rural schools, they have metropolitan areas, major city. Uh, but for their state, they canceled sports. Uh, a neighboring state right next door, um, rural, metropolitan, same sort of uh, uh, makeup, they're going with sports full steam ahead. And the, both states cite the same authority, their sports medicine advisory committee, as mm -hmm. the reason they're doing what they're doing. And, and my complaint, if you will, my gripe is that, you know, if you're using science, science should be a little bit more consistent. So... Uh, obviously, Utah is not, um, you know, Salt Lake City is not New York City or Philadelphia or LA, you know, we get it, but it's still, you know, pretty big city. And of course, you've got rural areas. So I'm going to put you on the spot, you know, as the executive director for Utah, what do you think the deciding factor or factors were for Utah's decision to go ahead and play? Uh, my personal opinion, and of course, I haven't spoken with the governor, so I don't know this, but I know that based on the recent history with the UHSAA and the, uh, some of the fights we've had with the legislature over uh, how the association is run, the transfer rule, and those type of things. Anyway, the bottom line is the governor pretty much shut down schools that third week in March last March. And I think it was kind of a domino effect. It's right after Rudy Gobert got the COVID and then they shut the NBA down. I was with my grandson down in St. George at a track meet and it was a huge track meet. Uh, but they had announced Thursday that they were gonna shut down schools the next Monday. And so this track meet had probably close to a thousand participants there because everybody wanted to get at least one track meet in. Anyway, whatever the governor says in Utah is how we is how we go. And so the governor said we're going to have 
sports in the fall or the governor said we're going to open schools in the fall now it may be online or it may be in person and the uhsaa stance was as long as students are in school then we're going to have our fall sports and then we lost maybe five or six volleyball games maybe more than that i know there were probably a dozen or so football games canceled during that time but the first monday in uh the first Monday in November happens, that's usually tryouts for both basketballs, for both the swimming, for the wrestling, for the drill team. All of a sudden there was a spike in Utah, just like there was a spike everywhere else. The governor said, we're putting a two week hiatus on all activities everywhere. And so that those tryouts didn't happen for two weeks later. He did make the, the caveat that it won't affect the football teams because by that point there was only four teams left in each classification of the top three and then the two in the finals. But he did make sure to say that everyone has to be tested. So they tested each of those teams. They tested the cheerleaders. They tested the drill team uh, before the semifinals and before the finals. And the kids were able to play. I think the governor didn't want to close football down because girls soccer had already finished. Volleyball had already finished cross country had already finished, uh, golf had already finished, and these kids had at least had a chance to finish their season. I think he took a lot of heat when he shut everything down back in March, but in his defense, I don't think anybody knew what we were dealing with, oh, and I course. think that was a kind of a domino effect. So it's really, it's, it's whatever the governor's office decides is basically, I know we talk about sports medicine committee and this fact and that fact, but I, I believe in Utah, it's it's whatever the governor says goes. And of course, now our governors uh, didn't run for re-election, so we have a new governor that's going to take over. So we're in that transition period. But I'm hoping, because they've said that uh, once now that we have winter sports on the docket, that kids have to be tested uh, once every two weeks. And then if you are caught, then obviously you're put in quarantine for... But the quarantine in Utah, I think now is seven to 10 days rather than 10 to 14. I've heard that in other states, it might be, um, you know, the 10 to 14. So I'm not, it's like you say, this, this science is one thing and it says things, but when you talk to different states, you get a different answer as to quarantine, as to how often you're tested, et cetera. But the bottom, the bottom line answer to your question is, it, it comes from the governor's office because he's pretty much saying the schools are going to remain open or they're not going to remain open. Yeah, I, you mentioned, uh, you know, the quarantine times. I think the CDC just came out with that uh, new model of a few mm -hmm. days for quarantine. So, and to our listeners, we're recording this interview on December 4th. Uh, so hopefully by the time it airs uh, and you're listening to it, uh, you know, things have uh, taken a turn toward the positive. Um Hutch, um, we, we kind of jumped ahead, but that's okay. But I, I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, I'm always curious uh, about uh, the mentors that uh, have uh, affected an athletic director's life and career. Uh, obviously, you know, you've done this for a long time and you understand that we didn't get here by ourselves, you know, that there were people. Absolutely. Us. So who are some of your mentors, uh, either teachers or coaches growing up or maybe, you uh, people that you worked with or worked for. Uh, the expression I always use is, 
I still hear those voices in my head you know, when I'm talking to a coach or, or a parent. So whose voice do you still hear? Um, let me go with, uh, with two people in the NIAAA that I met that really took me under the wing. The first would have been uh, Don Bales, mm -hmm. who I know that you know, and of course, famous athletic director, former past president out of Indianapolis, and uh, the other one, Bruce Whitehead. So to put this into context, so I decide that uh, when I'm the president of the, uh, of the Utah Association, uh, that we want to change our, our conference. It was a half day thing. It was kind of like a good old boys. We would meet in some hotel down in Salt Lake City, right around Halloween that, that time, it was a half day affair. We'd have a couple of speakers, you know, maybe a local uh, college coach, something like that. Uh, nothing like you see at the NIAAA. So I'm the president and I said, we need to, we need to change this. We need to make this a multi-day state conference. We need to move it to the spring. We, move, we need to move it to St. George. And everyone just looked at me and said, that's a great idea. You, you go ahead and you handle that. You got to remember, this is back in those days, the leadership in Utah was secretary, uh, president-elect, president, past president. And then, of course, by the time you're past president, you've been in it four years, you just about figured out how it happened. And then you're out and then, and then you have the new group. When I was the secretary, I remember sitting down at my first meeting, and this has got to be 95 maybe. And the person that was the secretary before me hands me three of those, you know, the checks and it has the carbon, you take the check out and it's got the carbon copy. Oh yeah. Well, there was no document. It was like, here, here's the finances, Hutch, three of these. So it just had the checks that were written. He said, I think we have $250 in the bank about. And of course, so we went from there. So my first conference is in Nashville. And it's when I first met uh, Don Bells. And he, I don't, obviously he must've seen something in me like we see something in other people. I was on the staff of the, uh, of the 790. It was 590 back then, uh, two years later. Uh, in New Orleans. And I've been teaching uh, 590 or 790 since then. And uh, I've just had this relationship with Don as far as Bruce goes. I met him when he was the secretary of the NIAAA. And our friendship, uh, you know, just continues to grow. Uh, I will just tell you, uh, right before, about four or five weeks ago, right before the state playoffs, Bruce was out here with his wife, Pam, and some friends of theirs. We met them down at Bryce Canyon. Uh, showed him around Bryce for a day, stayed in Cedar City, went down and showed him down at uh, Zion. And uh, these are the type of things that if it wasn't for the NIAAA or the UIAAA getting you into the NIAAA, these are friendships that would never, never have happened. I mean, I think about, so I think about the people I know in Florida. Obviously there's you. I met, uh, I met Danny Neinstein when he, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, got an award when I was the awards chair. I'll tell you an interesting story about Lannis. I met Lannis in 790 and I can't even remember what year it was. So this is back, this has got to be back when he's first uh, become an AD. Early and he's in 790. Yeah. And if you remember 790, there's a part in there where uh, we put slides up on there and uh, we pick certain tables to present those slides. 
and say, this is the slide you presented. Here you go. We'd gone over all the stuff. I just happened to pick Lannis's table. Lannis gets up and teaches the slide. And I thought he did an incredible job. So incredible that uh, I see Jim Watkins after we teach the 790. And I say, we need Lannis. Lannis is one of these up and coming guys. And then I think that's pretty much how Lannis got involved in the LTI. And then, of course, he's the president now. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first became awards chair, so this is 2003, I think. So I was awards chair for five years, which doesn't happen anymore. But back then it was kind of a different circumstance. I, I didn't know any better. So I talked to people around. Uh, I talked to Ron Balaz in Florida. I mm -hmm. talked to people. I said, I need people. And so I didn't know exactly how these committee appointments work. So I, I just wrote, wrote out my report and I said, okay, I want, I want Holly Farnese. I want Mark Armstrong. I want Andy Childs. And, uh, and so Army, you know, goes on, he's an NIAAA president. Andy's an NIAAA president. Holly's an NIAAA secretary. And the crazy thing is, I'm not sure that that would happen now, but they said, okay, here's these people, you can have them. And uh, for however short or however long I had them. So I've had, I've been so blessed with my, uh, with the friends that I've had throughout the nation and the, uh, the mentors, two of them that I mentioned, but there's obviously more than them. It just talks to the, like I said, it talks to the, the family, I guess you will, the NIAAA family, because unless you are a member and you begin that journey and you have those contexts, everyone looks strange at you like, yeah, there's, there's not an organization that's really like that. That's, that's not really true. Uh, but you and I, you're laughing because you and I both know that it is. I remember when I was on the board uh, so it's in Orlando. So this has got to be maybe 2011. I can't remember one of those years. It was the very first time that we went through the uh, accreditation. And I remember reading the accreditation report and the people just could not believe the amount of volunteers they had just to teach the LTI. Mm -hmm. And the uh, facilitators we had there to check everybody in, they just said, hey, that's and the second time we went through accreditation, they said the same thing. And I, I think we just have gone through it again or in the process of going through it again. Yeah. So, you know, I can't, uh, you, you'll never hear me say anything remotely bad about the NIAAA because it, it has made such a huge difference to me. Like I said, that first conference was Nashville. I, in 1998, it's in Vegas. And of course, I'm hungry for this, so I decided to take four LTI courses. Well, they're only at the time there was only six, and I had had 501 and 502, and I took the other four. And I don't know if you were, uh, had gone to that conference, but it was back in the Kovaleski days. And I show up to one of my courses, and I have a buddy of mine with me, and I say, "Hey, Frank, Frank Kovaleski," I said, "Hey, he's." you know, we, we can pay for this class. Can we get them in? And in those days, that was it. If you didn't register by the 1st of November, mm -hmm. you're done. That was all there is. And so the, the funny thing that comes out of this story is, so I'm taking 503, which I think is, became 703 and then it's been split a couple of times. But I can remember sitting at a table and there was maybe a hundred people 
in there. And there was three instructors. Kim Flannery was one of them. And at my table was uh, a fellow that, that I can't remember, but at my table is Craig Perry, who became a board member, Ed Lockwood, who became a board member, mm-hmm. Bobby Rossi out of New Jersey, which is, of course, how I met the Godfather. And of course, that's a, that's a totally different story altogether. So uh, yeah, just a few stories about the NIAAA and what it's, what it's been in my life. Well, you know, back talking about when you were uh, in charge of the committee, those people you named, obviously you had a pretty good eye uh, because they went on to, uh, you know, contribute to, and they're still contributing to the organization. Uh, so, you know, well done with that. Um, one of the things we like to do with the, the podcast, one of the things we say we do is uh, that we help promote best practices. And, you know, for through your experience um, at Sandy High School, uh, your experience in Utah, uh, again, I'm going to put you on the spot, maybe limit you to uh, just two or three, but uh, what are some best practices that you have seen uh, either under your direction at Sandy or in some of the high schools in Utah? You know, what are some tips that uh, you can pass on uh, to the ADs that are listening now? I think that I would, uh, and of course, I would like to take credit for this like it was my idea, but clearly it wasn't. But one of the best things that I ever did, uh, and I'm not talking about when you have coaches meetings, obviously you have one at the first of the year, you have all the head coaches there, all the assistants, you have one at the first of winter sports, you have one at the spring. But I used to have a time where I would meet with my head coaches every Monday. And it was... I guess it was an official meeting, but there was never notes taken. There was never, it was more of a one-on-one, how's it going? Uh, What can I do to help you out? What can I do to help make your job easier? And it was more of a, I wouldn't say a a gripe session, but it wasn't, it wasn't a sit down here. We're here to talk about your program, blah, blah, blah. I never talked X's and O's with my coaches unless of course they asked. They, they may say, look, this happened last Friday. I, this is how I handled it. I know you were at the game. Would you have done it that way or would you have done it differently? And then if they ask or if they ask that type of question, then I will, I will tell them, this is what I would have done. You did a great job or you may have thought of doing it this way. But my job as an athletic director is to make their job easier. And so I just felt like it, it, you just got to know the coaches and the more you got to know the coaches, it, it became less of a, because as the AD, you're kind of in the middle, you're not them, the administration, but you're an AD and you're not one of us now because you're not coaching anymore. Right. And so you're sometimes you're out in this Island. And I used to think to my, I used to get frustrated because I thought, well, why aren't my coaches doing this? We talked about this in our general coaches meeting why aren't my coaches doing that? And it took me a while to figure out the reason they're not doing it is because it's my shortcoming or my fault as a leader. I'm not leading them well enough. I'm not doing what I need to do to let them know that this is the expectation. And my problems with coaches, I won't say they disappeared overnight, but when I started this weekly coaches meeting for in-season coaches, uh, maybe one of the best things I ever did. I'll just throw another one in. And I know 
This applies to national programs and state programs as far as strategic planning goes, but I'm a believer in strategic plans. I've been obviously, Utah's been through three of them. I've sat on the NFHS. I've sat on the NIAAA strategic plan, but I think as an athletic department, I think you can go through a strategic plan and I think that would help your athletic department. I think a lot of people are going, well, that's, that's kind of small, but you know, your school does it. And so I would think the same thing would be true. So I'll, I'll just go with those two things that I think uh, will make a huge difference in, in running your day-to-day -day program. Weekly coaches meeting with in-season coaches, not long, you know, five minutes. Sometimes they're one minute. Sometimes the coach is busy and can't come to your office. And so you find them and you're walking down the hallway from the main office back to their office. And maybe that's the meeting. So it's not, like I say, it's not, uh, it doesn't have to be this official type thing. But I thought, I thought those two things, which of course I'd like to claim that they were my idea, but they weren't because as, as an, a, as an AD, you, you take the best practices from somewhere else. I'll, I'll throw in, uh, if you don't have a coach's handbook, you better get one. And there's plenty of resources out there for you to get that. Right. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned that uh, phrase uh, that you felt that your job was to make the coach's job easier. Um, I wish I would have learned that earlier in, in my career as an AD. Uh, when I took the job at my present school five years ago, I mean, it's recognized as if not the top private school program in Florida, you know, one of the very best. And so there was already success. We already had great coaches and we still do. And uh, obviously I had heard this somewhere else. I didn't come up with it, but that summer, uh, after I was hired, uh, I made an appointment with every single coach. Uh, just, hey, come in, just want to say hi, want to get to know you. And the, the very first thing I said, or thing I asked them was, how can I make your job easier? How can I make it more fun? And that paid such enormous dividends for me and gave me credibility with them. It's not that the previous AD, you know, was bad or anything like that. It was just, they had never had that experience. And so sure. um, being able to do that uh, and, and create, as you said, that connection, because you're no longer a coach, you know, you're the AD, you're the boss, if you will, uh, is just so vital. So uh, I'm glad you shared that. Okay. Well, it just proves that uh, what a smart man you are, Dr. Jake. I think <laughs> you've learned because uh, no, I, I just can't agree more. I think it's about, I mean, our business is about, people. The favorite thing about this job is people. I mean, I, I've talked plenty about the relationships I have in the NIAAA and in the UIAAA with Big Ridge, with Jamie and all the other people that have helped build the Utah Association. But, you know, it's about people. It's about young people. It's about kids. And sometimes in our business, sometimes coaches, sometimes athletic directors forget that these are young kids. They're 15 to 18 year old kids they're the one and a half percent are going to go on to play somewhere else and the 98 and a half percent high school athletics is this was their team building experience this was their athletic experience this was their they got to experience the wins they got to experience the losses and i think we just need to keep sight of that so i'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> No, I'm, I'm going to throw in one more, you know, in coaching. And again, you know, you and I coach for years and years, um, that cliche, and it's a cliche because it's true. 
Uh, it's not the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that applies even more so to athletic directors because you know we're impacting those coaches who are going to impact the kids. So if if they have a good relationship, you know, with their you know head coach, if you will, the AD, uh, I think those kids, which it's all about the kids, they're going to have a great relationship and a great experience too. So great stuff. Okay. I would agree. Um, another question we've been asking the ADs on the podcast. Uh, goes back to um, kind of when we started these. We started back in late June. And at that time, you know, the events uh, that had taken place in Minneapolis and Atlanta, you know, were still, you know, very much, uh, you know, in the news uh, around this idea of, you know, social awareness, you know, social justice. And my question has been this, what are some things that we can do as athletic directors uh, what are some things that we can do better in this um, area of, of social awareness with our kids, our coaches, our community? Uh, what can, how can we do a better job? I believe we need to have that dialogue, number one, with the coaches. I mean, I will, I will admit this, but you, you have to understand that Utah may not be as diverse as some of the areas, for example, Florida. Sure. When I was, I went to Highland High School in Salt Lake City. So I'm a, I'm a sophomore in the fall of 1968. And I think when, um, by the time I was a senior, there was two black kids on our football team. You know, and they were players and they could play. And in the area where I grew up, there was not a whole lot of diversity. And the black kids, one of them had come from the deep south and talked about this and that. And that was kind of foreign to me because that was not where I grew up. That was not the things that happened. But of course, as we grow up, we realize that there's those prejudice, there's those bias out there. I think we just need to be aware, as I said before, it goes back to the kids. We have kids that are from broken homes. We have kids that, uh, are socially awkward, probably more socially awkward because they're tied to their phones and they don't talk to people. We have kids with all types of problems. We have homeless kids. And I don't, I don't think all of these issues, I don't think that <clears throat> we just think, well, we have them in high school. I think we have to think outside the box and go the extra mile with some of these kids because We just don't think enough about those types of problems with the, with what happened in Minneapolis. I mean, that's we had riots in Salt Lake City for, I think, seven straight days. We had people turning over police cars and lighting them on fire. And and uh, I'm not going to get into the politics of it or that type of thing. I'm going to get into it's 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 wrong. Everybody matters. Black lives matter. Kids matter. Whether a kid. Uh, comes from a single parent house, whether he's homeless, whether he's questioning his sexuality or her sexuality, any of these types of issues that we have today, we have, <clears throat> there has got to be a better dialogue between I think the administration at the school, the administration at the district, and particularly our coaches, because you and I both know when you get that great teacher, 
which you may have two or three great teachers in your high school, they can influence a bunch of kids, but coaches can influence kids more and more than, than any other, than any other teacher can. I know coaches are teachers generally, unless you're a place maybe like Texas where they just hired to coach football. But, but when you say, what can we do? I, I think we have to be more aware. I don't think we have to say, Oh, we're guilty. I mean, my, my ancestors came from Europe, you know, and people, uh, people on the fringes on the, the far left or the far, far right try, are trying to point fingers that this is your fault. This is, this is the white people fault. This is the Caucasian fault. This is the black people fault. I don't think it's a fault. I think it's just an attitude that just needs to change. And I think cooler heads have to prevail. And I think we have to be more aware of the problems the kids have, all the types of social. We didn't have that when we were in high school. I went to high school in the in the late '60s and '70s, and that's the '60s was a crazy time. But it's not a time like now. We didn't have we didn't have the drugs prevalent that are out there. We didn't have the pornography. We didn't have all these other types of issues that kids now today face. So, I hope that's a good answer. Oh no, I, I really uh, appreciate you sharing. And uh, again, it is going to be. Uh, a little more specific to, you know, the area that you're in. But uh, thanks so much for sharing your heart on that. Um, since this is a podcast, obviously people can't see uh, what's going on. Um, unless, you, watch, unless you watch it on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, <laughs> uh, you can. But uh, Hutch has as his uh, background uh, the cover of uh, a book that he has written, has been published, and it's very successful. Uh, I want to give you a, a chance to give a little shout out to that just very briefly, you know, uh, how did that take place? Uh, and then how can our listeners uh, uh, get their own copy? <laughs> okay, well, thanks for sharing that, Jake. And I appreciate the little window to, to try to push my book. I can thank you because I know you read it and uh, gave me a good review on Amazon. But the crazy thing about this book is I, I got the idea late 80s, early 90s. And it was a time I was the athletic director, but it was before I was with the UIAAA, it was before I was with the NIAAA. And I had read a lot of uh, Robert Ludlum, a lot of Clive Cussler, a lot of those types of books. I found them fascinating, uh, you know, fiction. And the student of mine, just out of the clue blue sky says, I, I started to write a novel, Mr. Hunter, about this, that, and the other thing. He asked me about it. And of course I was a math teacher. I didn't know the first thing about writing a novel. Uh, I did poorly as an English student in high school. Anyway, I thought, okay, I can write a novel. And so it took me about two years to write. And I decided to write about what I knew about places that I had been. So you read the novel, you know, it takes place in Salt Lake City. It takes place down at the in Moab by the Arches National Park and it finishes at the Grand Canyon on the uh, Tonto Plateau, hence the name of the book. But you read it so you know that there are, there are things in the book that are, I don't know if the word autobiographical is correct, but things that came from my life. Like I put the story about uh, a hutch on the football helmet because I decided I'm gonna make this character in this book. I'm gonna have his nickname be Hutch just because 
uh, it's me. I mean, the kid obviously in the book was a quarterback, played uh, University of Utah football. Obviously, that's not me. I was never a quarterback, never good enough to play college football. Uh, items in the book like uh, how they got those uh, 500 foot cables down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon to string across to make that suspension bridge. Uh, I put that's actually how they did it. They put people 10 feet apart and they stuck that cable on their shoulders and they marched down the trail and that's how they got it down there. Um, dreaming about being on the, uh, the Colorado uh, River uh, when I was a kid hiking the Grand Canyon. I mean, the, the not the strange thing, but I've, I've probably been to the Grand Canyon, I want to say at least three dozen times in my life because it's fairly close to Utah and I've hiked across it a couple of times and I knew about the Grand Canyon. Uh, as far as the other things about the treasure that's there and all that, that that's all made up. And like the disclaimer I put at the end of the book, <laughs> don't go looking for treasure in the Grand Canyon because it's not there, it's all made up. But there's quite a few things in the book that are, are uh, that have happened to me. I tried to make it uh, like this is just a normal person that gets caught up in this strange chase for, uh, for, for lost treasure that, that may or may not be in the canyon. It was something that I wanted to do. And so I've got a folder full of, re of rejection letters from 1991 and 1992 saying, yeah, thanks. Your they don't say, thanks, your book sucks, but that's what they mean. <laughs> a light way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, here's this book. It's, uh, you know, it's about a little bit over 300 pages. I think I want to get it published. If it publishing's like anything, if you don't know anybody in the publishing world, you can't get published. And so I had tried to publish. I, I tried, dusted it off a couple of times, revised a couple of things. Well, here it is. It's COVID and it's 2020. And it's almost a full 30 years after I wrote the book. And so now we're everybody, you can't come out of your house, at least for that first two weeks in March into April. So I dusted it off. I changed a couple of things. I changed a couple of the characters minor here and there. The general plot stays the same because my sister's, uh, my niece, my sister's daughter self-published a book on Amazon and said, this is how you do it. And I thought, well, I'm going to self-publish my book. And if I sell 10 copies, that's great. If I sell a hundred, that's great. If I sell a thousand, which I haven't, but you know, that's great because I'm actually, I've got it published. I think it's a good story. It's a fun story. It's a mystery. It's an adventure. But like I say, it's fiction. So you can, you can change things. You can make things up and it's, it's not a big deal, but it was, it was a tough, it was, it was a hard thing. I can't, the, the amount of rewrites that I went through, the amount of corrections. I used to have friends in the, uh, like I said, in the book, I had friends in the uh, Jordan High English department. And I'd give them two or three chapters and they would just, you know, cross this out and change it. And of course, punctuation and you shouldn't say it this way. And this is too sappy. And I like this, but it is what it is. I think it's a great read. I know that uh, probably I would probably say over 60 to 70 percent of the people that bought the book are probably NIAAA members that are friends of mine, whether they felt bad for me or not, but they read it and, uh, and I'm hoping that they enjoyed it. So the, the final part of your question, all you've got to do is go to Amazon and put in plateau and then put my name in, but you can't put it in Hutch. You have to put it in Mark, M-A-R-C. 
you put in Plateau Mark 100, it'll take you to the page. You, there's a Kindle version for electronic. And then there's a, uh, there's a hard copy version that looks like, it looks like this right here. And since I moved, obviously it <laughs> took my background out of place, but I'll fix that while we keep talking. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the deal. Well, again, I appreciate you sharing it. And to our listeners, you know, it's, it is a, a great read and it, it covers a, a, a lot of different territory. It's, uh, you know, mystery, you know, suspense, uh, adventure, a uh, little history, um, you know, historical drama. The characters are well done, uh, very believable. Um, and there is a treasure hunt component in there. I, I thought Mark's disclaimer at the end was just to uh, keep people away from him um, trying to find the uh, treasure <laughs> yeah. himself. But uh, yeah, go to Amazon and uh, check it out. Um, it's uh, it, it's definitely a good read, and uh, I think we all need a good read uh, these days. Let, let me ask you what you thought. So I, I'm thinking. So I made one of the brothers in the book a. Uh, uh, somebody that quotes Shakespeare, if you remember that part of the right. book. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I didn't, I, it took me, I, I probably spent a good three weeks uh, just going to internet sites, checking famous quotes from Shakespeare. And then I thought, oh, I like this one. I don't like this one. So there's, I don't know, there's 15, 16 of them in there. And so then I had to decide, well, how am I going to fit this into the book? How am I going to do that? I tried to not like I say, not being an English major, not being huge in character development. I tried to to go with a couple of different things. And uh, so I threw that Shakespeare thing in there and I, I've had people say, oh, well, yeah, you must, you know, and I've seen some Shakespeare plays and stuff. Shakespeare's not my favorite, but I thought it's just a different little quirk that maybe you can give a character uh, that makes it kind of more believable. And of course there's some, uh, some music references in there as there should be, as you well know, so. Well, I mean, for, for me, as I'm reading it, I mean, you have your all the brothers. Right. Uh, and, you know, I didn't have that growing up. I, I had two older brothers, but they were so much older than me. They were almost out of the house, you know, before I sure. got to know them. But uh, we all have that uh, group of friends, you know, that cadre, um, mm -hmm. you know, either people you went to high school or college with that, you know, I just went to my 45th high school reunion. I'm a little bit younger than you. Uh, and I'm still in touch with these guys. So in, in that group of four or five guys, this will tell you the type of guys I hang out with. I'm kind of that Shakespeare guy, not to the degree that oh, okay. your character like was, but I guess I'm maybe a, just a little more read, well-read than them. So uh, I'll throw out a, a literary quote or, or something. And sometimes it's just a movie quote. And they'll kind of roll their eyes. Oh, that's Jake again. So no, it in that particular part, you know, spoke to me. You know, very realistic. So, again, uh, well done. And uh, for our listeners, Amazon.com, uh, Mark M A R C Hunter Plateau. Check it out, Mark. It has been wonderful spending this time with you. But we're not done. We always like to yeah. wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you've already shared uh, some best practices, some great ideas for ADs, but I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. You're uh, being tasked with sending out a brand new rookie athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things 
in their toolbox. What three items are going to go in Hutch Hunter's athletic director toolbox? Oh, I think the first item has got to be uh, a copy of your book. No. Well, no. <laughs> I would like to do a shameless plug, but I won't do that. That can be your fourth item. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I you need to have, and I didn't realize this when I first got the job, and I didn't realize this for a lot of the time I had the job. You have got to be. I don't know if the words are organized enough, but you have got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself and, and make the proper time to take care of yourself and to make sure to have your family time, whatever that family is, then you're going to be useless as an AD because you're going to be all over the place. The people that you work for are going to see that you don't have that. So I would say, number one, take care of yourself. I would say, number two, whatever state you're in, I would join that state association yesterday. And I would join the NIAAA the day before that, because I, I think about those early, I think I started going to the Utah conference, maybe 88, 89. So I'd been the AD for five years. I'll bet the first four years, I had no idea there was an athletic directors association, right. let alone an athletic directors association conference. I, uh, so I, I would say, take care of yourself, number one. Number two, get involved with those and, and begin your network. Begin that collaboration. Begin, I mean, I know people are listening to me and they're saying, well, yeah, well, that's Jake. Well, that's Hutch. Well, Hutch has been around in the athletic field for almost 40 years. Jake's been around for 35 years. Okay, I get that. And I understand I didn't know all these people when I started, but it's got to start somewhere. You have got to start building that network because the fact, and I mentioned this earlier, the fact that I can call someone who's been through the same thing, that I don't have to recreate it, that I don't have to, I can call a couple of people, this is how this was handled, this is how I should handle it. The fact that when we had a hazing incident in Jordan High and the local newspaper, the NOPO, not newspaper, the uh, Channel 4 walks into my office with an anchor and a cameraman and starts asking me about this hazing incident that I knew nothing about before I kicked him out of my office. The fact that as soon as I closed the door, I was able to call Lee Green, even though I'd had all four of the legal classes, mm -hmm. but he walked me through it again. And then I walked my principal through it. And so we had everything handled and then until of course it got to the district level and they decided to do go a different way. And then it blew up in their face. But that's another, that's another point. And the third thing is, and I've said this before, You've got to remember, it's interscholastic athletics. It's about the kids. You're going to win your share. You're going to lose your share. And I've had plenty of losses and I've had plenty of wins. My grandson, who I will plug, is the leading receiver in the nation this year on a team that just finished their third straight state championship and undefeated. Wow. But... Um, you know, not everybody gets to go undefeated. There's teams that are two and eight. There's teams that are five and five. And the lessons that athletics teaches those kids are no different than the kid. Now, I understand there may be a little bit more joy for those kids that went undefeated or for those kids that won that state championship. But you see the joy in the eyes of kids that win state championships. But uh, I will repeat this for about the fifth time on this podcast. It's about the kids. 
And let's not forget, it's interscholastic athletics. It's not professional. It's not college. It's about high school kids. And let's make this the best thing that can happen for these kids, whether it's a kid that gets in for five plays at the end of the game or whether it's a kid that uh, maybe is good enough that goes both ways uh, and even plays on the kickoff and kick return team. So it's those three things. Take care of yourself. Get involved with your state and national association. And let's not forget that interscholastic athletics is about the kids. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. Um, you know, again, talking about, you know, the kid portion, uh, we certainly celebrate those championships. Uh, and I, I know you don't uh, belittle those things at all. Our school, again, we've been very successful over the 53 years we've been open. You know, we've, we've won, our school has won 37 state championship titles across the board and has another 26 state runner-ups. I mean, we're either first or second every single year, but that's not our goal. I tell our parents, that's, right. uh, that's an outcome of doing things the right way. Our athletic goal, it says this right in our handbook, to provide every student a positive athletic experience. And that might mean as a player, you know, as a manager, as a fan, as a star. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not about the championships. We celebrate them. Don't get me wrong. We love to win. Oh, yeah. but, but that's not our goal. And uh, the networking thing. Uh, you're right. You know, you and I have been doing this for a long time as educators, but uh, I've only been involved with my state association probably the last 13 years, because prior to that, uh, I was an AD, but I was also a head football coach. And, sure. and so when I stopped coaching and became a full-time AD, uh, that's when I got involved and I just was kicking myself gosh, I wish I would have done this sooner. What a great mm -hmm. organization. What a collaborative group. What a supportive group. You know, as coaches, what do we do? We try to keep our secrets to ourselves. But yeah, ADs, That's exactly right. As ADs, you know, we can't share enough. Hey, you know, this is how we did that. Or you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. So to all our listeners, you know, Hutch is right on point. You know, get involved. No, and I, I want to, that's what you said about the difference between being a coach and an, an AD is so it is so correct. I know Jamie mentioned that in his podcast that I listened to a couple of days. Coaches, you you share it like they'll invite you to a coach's clinic. So you'll share, okay, this is how I ran this. This sure, is how I run the spread. And it's a general stuff, but you're not giving them the nuts and the bolts and the stuff. Mm -hmm. But as, as ADs, I mean, it's it's shared. Here, you, you take can't it. share it quick enough. Mm -hmm. Well, Hutch, uh, always great catching up with you at the National uh, Conference. Uh, we'll have to do that virtually this year, but I was so glad right. we were able to have this uh, conversation. If one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you and pick your brain a little bit, uh, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm on Facebook uh, under Mark Hutch Hunter. I'm on uh, Twitter on uh, Hutch Hunter 80. I think that's the same handle for Instagram. Um, if any of our listeners uh, obviously are members of the NIAAA, which I assume they are, you can just look me up on the portal. That's one other thing that I mentioned that I, we didn't get time to delve into, but I, the portal issue and the NIAAA and the information that's there is a, a whole separate issue. I won't even get started because we're at the end of the podcast, but uh, reach out to me on any of the social media or uh, I'll put my phone number out there because you can find it here. It's 801 560-0854. Anybody has any questions at all, give me a call. I'd be glad to talk to it. I'd be glad to share because, because I'm a product of those that went before me, the Don Bales, the Bruce Whiteheads, the Jim Watkins, 
the, the John Olson, all of these people that I met. And of course now all the people that I met like you of my generation from certification, from you, from Pete Shambo, from, from, you know, Steve Young, all these guys uh, all over the U S it's, I just obviously don't get me going again, because it'll just make it longer. <laughs> well, thanks uh, again, my friend, uh, Mark Hutch Hunter from uh, the UIAAA. That's another way you can get in touch with him, the Utah Interscholastic yeah. Athletic Administrators Association. Continued um, success within your state as well as with NIAAA. To our listeners, um, remember these episodes are also being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD. Thanks, Jake.